Thank you. It's uh, great to be here. about peace today. So most people try to avoid conflict. The stress and worry of fighting takes its toll mentally and if all that fighting occurs it can take its toll physically. There's not many people who appreciate a black eye. Or worse, warfare. And all light warfare is truly horrific with its violence and its brutality. Um, Soldiers put their lives on the line understanding that they might die as a result. So how can conflict be solved? How can peace be restored once it's been lost? Well, there was a time, a long time, where humanity was at war with God. In Edom, Adam and Eve set themselves against God by ignoring his command to leave his fruit alone. They ignored the boundary that God put in place. They took from him without his consent and so brought sin into the world. In this, they declared war against God. And from then on, people have ignored or even flouted, openly rebelling against God's commands. And so, continuing the war against him and him against us, there's certain things that God cannot and will not tolerate. But this war is finished, happily. This war is over. The white flag has been waved. A truce has been signed. It finished 2,000 years ago with Jesus making peace with God on our behalf. But the peace treaty was signed in his blood. I'm going to read from Colossians chapter 1, if you'd like to follow along. Colossians chapter 1, verses 21 to 23. At one time you were far away from God and were his enemies because of the evil things you did and thought. But now, by means of the physical death of his son, God has made you his friends in order that you bring in order to bring you holy, pure and faultless into his presence. You must, of course, continue faithful on a firm and sure foundation and must not allow yourselves to be shaken from the hope that you gained when you heard the gospel. It is of this gospel that I, Paul, the author of this letter, I'm not Paul, obviously. It is of this gospel that I, Paul, became a servant. This gospel which has been preached to everybody in the world. And we're preaching it today. Thanks to what happened in Eden, we're all born with a fault. We have a bias towards sin. We have a temptation that's always there. We have 
what the Bible often terms is a sinful nature. A natural inclination to rebel against God. To believe that my way is the best way. That I can take a shortcut and no one will notice. That I don't have to be righteous all the time because it's just, you know, it's a little white lie. It's okay. But it's not okay. We believe that our own way is best despite its destructiveness. We kid ourselves and say, well, it's only a crime if no one finds out. But the consequences will still happen. Whether they can be traced to you or not, it still causes destruction in the world. And ultimately, it leads to death. It leads to a lake of fire, to be really honest. The sinful nature within us, in here, is at war with God. It constantly wants to rebel against him. This means not only do we have a problem, but so does God. Because God's plan was to walk with Adam and Eve and their descendants in the cool of the evening and enjoy a beautiful garden. It's not happening. It's not. I've got a garden at home and I enjoy that some evenings. Maybe not now in the middle of winter. The evenings get a bit nippy. It's certainly nice in summer. But the world that's supposed to be a garden isn't a garden at the moment. We've got an ocean that's got more plastic than fish. How's that part of God's plan? You know? We've got great big craters in the ground where miners have dug out all the iron ore and every other precious thing they can find. And then they just leave it. They don't fill it back in or anything. You know? So not only do we have the problem, but God has a problem. Because our, our selfish, greedy nature is wrecking the place. In his love, he wants to restore us to right relationship with him. Out of his love, he wants to do that. But in his justice, he cannot turn a blind eye to sin. He cannot allow that to happen. So in the Old Testament, God allowed a substitution to take place. Instead of our sin killing us, a lamb or a kid, by which I mean goat, not actual child sacrifice, that's off. God's really not into that. But either a, a little lamb or a little goat would be killed in our place. People would be absolved of their sins and relationship would be restored. But this was only temporary. It didn't really last. Because then the next time you make a mistake, the next time you're greedy or selfish or envious or whatever, you have to go and kill another animal. And so off to the temple you trot. So sin creates two problems. For us, it creates the problem of death and suffering. But for God, it creates the problem of how to save the people you love 
without compromising your own sense of justice. Initially, this was solved by the sacrifice of a Passover lamb. But this was only a temporary solution. Jesus would provide a better and permanent solution. So the blood of Jesus has the power to cleanse us of our sins. Okay, So Jesus died at Passover. He was perfect. He was sinless. He was the Son of God and he was fully human. And he died once and for all. No more animals are needed. No more substitutions are needed. Jesus has done it. The penalty for sin, which is death, has now been paid for all time because Christ died vicariously on our behalf. For all people, for all time. Now we are free from condemnation because God has taken that burden and placed it on Christ. Christ has taken that up himself. Therefore, none can accuse us. Satan has tried. Oh, he'll try. He'll bring up all sorts of stuff out of your path, but he hasn't got a leg to stand on. And, might I add, the matter is none of his business. The problem of sin and redemption is between us and God. No one else needs to be involved. So if you find Satan sticking his nose in your business, you go and tell him to stick it somewhere else. He's got no business with it. Got no right. It's between us and God, and God has forgiven us. The matter is settled. Because Jesus sacrificed, we are now purified and holy. In him, we have been cleansed of our sins by his sacrifice. We have been freed from the penalty of our sins, that is, death, when Jesus took on that penalty on our behalf. And so, therefore, since Christ has been risen from the dead, we too will rise. Okay, it talks about that in uh, John's Revelation, talks about the dead in Christ rising to meet him. When Jesus took on that past on our behalf. Now, while Satan and sometimes people try to judge and condemn us for our past, really it's none of their business. Sure, you might have been a pain in the neck before. You might have been a monster. But Christ. But Christ. It's between you and God, and God has extended his grace towards you with forgiveness. There is now no condemnation. There is no shame. There is no guilt. This brings about peace with God. But also it brings us a debt. We're indebted to Christ. Because he's done something for us that we can't do for ourselves We're now in his debt. So what do we do with this? Now that our sins are removed, 
We're now at peace with God. Problem solved. It's wonderful. It's great. We're now no longer burdened by sin and death. And Christ is no longer burdened with how to justify people that he loves without compromising justice. He's found a way. So the problem solved. We no longer rebel, but instead we conform to Christ, who commands us to what? Love God with all of our heart and soul, all of our mind, all of our strength. Love our neighbour as ourself. Okay, the whole of the law rests on those two commands. It fleshes it out a bit and what that looks like. You can read Leviticus and so forth. But basically, love God, love people. Okay? New command I give to you, love one another as I have loved you. By your love, all will know you are my disciples. If you want to know if someone's a disciple of Jesus, a Christian, check out how they express love. Again, you have heard it said, love your friends and hate your enemies. But Christ has said to his disciples, love your enemies, bless those who curse you and repay evil with good. That's what we do now. We no longer rebel, but we conform to Christ. Not in fear of punishment. It's been removed. Christ suffered the punishment for us. We no longer have fear of punishment. But rather out of gratitude and love, that debt that I was talking about, that we now are indebted to Christ for rescuing us, and we have that gratitude and love that we now express because of that. Okay? He atoned for our sins. We are now at one with God. So now that we have been reconciled to God and a right relationship of love instead of fear has been restored, we now have access to the presence of God whenever it is needed or desired. I can sit in my garden and walk with God in the cool of the evening. We are indebted to him, but he does not demand repayment to himself. Eternal life is the free gift of God, and we have it. It can't be earned. We merely accept what is handed to us, and I grab it with both hands, and I advise you to do the same. This debt is therefore transferred to those around us with the debt of love. We love and forgive others as if they were Christ. We look at our neighbour and we see Christ in them. And then we give that debt of love to them. We love our neighbour, we love one another, we love our enemies and we see Christ in all. So Christ paid a debt that we could not pay ourselves and as a result we receive the free gift of eternal life from God. Salvation. We are saved from death and destruction. Thus we do not serve and follow Christ out of fear of hell or rejection because those things are no longer an option. Christ has done that for us. He has died for us. He descended and he ascended. No, we have been saved and welcomed into God's family. And those things are gone. They're done away with. Rather, we serve and follow out of gratitude and love. 
The debt we owe to God is credited to those we interact with every day. We are to love and forgive them as we ourselves have been loved and have been forgiven. For if Christ can forgive my sins, surely I can forgive you yours. And if you have slighted me, then surely the slight that I have given God is greater. Therefore I can forgive you if he can forgive me. The war with God is over as soon as you want it to be. Lay down your rebellion and pride. Lay down your weapons and surrender. Accept his offer. No more shall fear of punishment hang over our heads, for Christ has taken that punishment on himself. Thus we who believe that Christ is who he says he is, Live without guilt, shame or condemnation. And it feels so free. It feels so light not to have those things weighing us down. God does not expect us to repay him. He knows there's no way we could even come close. Instead, he commands us to love those around us as if they were Christ and credit the debt to them. Show them the gratitude that we show God. Show them the love that we show God. And I encourage you to go out today and love others as if they were Jesus. Who has done so much for you. Not because they deserve it. Not because they did something nice for you and you're repaying nicely. That's just courtesy. That's cheap. That's easy. Anyone can do that. No. What you do is find someone who doesn't deserve love. I mean, did you do something to deserve the God showing up for you? Did you earn God's grace? What could you possibly do to earn that? I didn't think you did. So you don't wait for them to deserve it either. Don't wait for them to be polite. Don't wait for them to be friendly. If God loved you while you were still his enemy, then you can love your enemy too. Here is an extra challenge, just as we close up. Go find the grumpiest person you know. Think of them. Grumpy, mean-spirited, ornery old coot. And go do a random act of kindness for them. And don't explain yourself. Just go do something nice for them. I don't know, buy a bunch of flowers, mow the lawn, offer to do some chores. And when they ask, what are you doing? Just say, I just want to be kind. Make the offer. They might accept, they might not. It doesn't matter. What matters is that you've shown love. Keep showing love. And do not grow tired of showing up. Thank you for your time today. Thanks, Gaza. Great message. Interesting concept, isn't it? <clears throat> Go and show love to people that don't show love to you. To challenge 
It sure is. Because are you on the road or are you on track with Jesus? What I mean is, are you on the highway to hell, to coin a phrase, or are you on track with Jesus? Remember that when you're on the road, you've got the steering wheel. You can choose whether to turn left or right or go straight ahead. But when you're on the train, when you're on the track, the way's set. The train driver has no steering wheel. The track is set. And that's how it is with Christ. <clears throat> and that's how it is with this message of Gary's. Get on track with Jesus. He'll tell you what stations to stop at and which stations are express and he'll make the way for you from this point of your life to the pearly gate. So you go out today, display that fruit of the Spirit and show kindness to others. Show the love. Love the Lord God with all your heart, your mind, your soul and your strength and love your neighbour as yourself. Amen. Amen. Thanks for listening to this sermon on Anchor Podcast. You can find more sermons on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Breaker, Castbox, Overcast, Pocket Casts, Radio Public, and Stitcher. Also, check out our live stream messages on YouTube and Facebook. Just type Wattle City Church into your search window. God bless you and have a great day. Amen.